Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. Going to go right back out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in our good friend Greg Bedard, uh, founder, editorial director of the Boston Sports Journal.com, Boston Sports Journal.com. And by the way, he's half the man he used to be after I saw him in Florida at the NFL <laughs> owners' meetings. Looks fantastic, Greg. I'm so proud of you for how you look. Um, really uh, doing a great job. So uh, uh, kudos to you for, uh, for, for, for all that. You look fantastic. Um, good luck to you and continued success uh, on that front. Uh, but wanted to talk today, Greg, um, about where the Raiders are right now. And they, they're, they're, they're solidified here in Las Vegas. They've got the new stadium. They've got a great facility uh, over in Henderson. It feels like they're as set up as well as they have been in years to be able to do something special. You know, it, obviously it's going to come down to decisions, uh, right draft picks, all of those type of things. But it feels like people are taking notice of who the Raiders are, where they are, what they have going, and kind of want to be a part of that. Do you get any sense uh, like that, Greg? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the Raiders, um, where they are now, I mean, I, I think – I think people are starting to, and I'm just giving you my view from Boston and sort of, you know, a thousand, ten thousand feet. But um, I think that, you know, the the COVID year and the opening of the stadium sort of, you know, threw things off. I think people are getting used to the idea of the Raiders in Vegas, and I think in, in short order it'll become, uh, you know, sort of synonymous. But I think that you know, there's definitely the sense that um, that the Raiders are on. The rise, not just in terms of you know the the roster, um, you know the coach and the GM that they have in there now, um, you know, but also you know their facilities in the city and you know how you know the A's are talking to Vegas and then you know they think in short order you know, NBA expansion team. We already have the NHL team, of course. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of positive vibes in Vegas. I think when it comes to the National Football League, it just takes t- people a little bit of time to really, uh, you know, get settled when a team moves. Greg, um, when I was at the owners' meetings in Florida, talking to some people from the NFL, um, more than a few, too, um, I I felt like it was a consistent theme among people in the NFL, like the Raiders are doing it the right way. And I think it kind of starts... Um, you know, with what they've created, without a doubt, um, the, the new home, the new stadium, everything, all of that, the, the, the new market. Uh, but I also feel like getting Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler in place um, has further opened up some eyes within the NFL amongst their colleagues. Like, that was a good decision. And um, can you talk a little bit about why that might be in terms of how people are looking at the Raiders and, and those two in particular? Yeah, I think that uh, you know we'll we'll start with Josh. I mean, you're talking about a guy who, um, you know, before he got the the job in Denver and what went down there. I mean, you, you have to understand that a lot of these guys that Belichick always loves to, um, you know, pluck sort of obscure guys and bring them in from the ground level and build them up and train them the way he wants them, and so they don't have you know, a lot of outside knowledge. I mean, sometimes that works for them. Sometimes it's to their detriment. Like right now with the amount of staff that they've lost over the recent years, they're now 
caught shorthanded where they don't really have they don't they're not going to have any coordinators this year and you know part of that i think is belichick just wanting to do it that way part of it is um he has guys who haven't really earned that um title yet at least in his mind and so you know mcdaniel's uh, you know, for a long time, you know, he, he, he just knew the Patriots way. He just, that, that's all he knew. That's all, that's all sort of what his environment was. But I think, you know, with McDaniels, whether it was Denver and the amount of people that he sort of touched there in terms of guys who were on his staff, guys who were in his front office, guys who, you know, some of whom he's brought back or, um, you know, when it comes to f- the front office, I think you're going to see uh, more changes after the draft. Cause that's sort of the way things work in the NFL that, um, that scouts and people work for a certain organization through a draft, and then they change after that. Right. So I think there's more changes in store for the Raiders. But um, you know, guys who who worked with him there, or or you know, worked around him, and then over the years, you know, then Josh went to St. Louis, had a year with Steve Spagnolo, you know, largely forgettable year, um, but uh, you know, he got to learn some, meet some new people there, and then really, you know, since he came back to the Patriots. Um, uh, you know, Josh has done a lot of outreach and talking to a lot of different people. And, and I think, you know, you look at the staff that he was going to put together for the Colts, you know, like Matt Eberflus is the guy, you know, now the Bears head coach that, that was going to be his defensive coordinator that's stuck there. Um, you know, I think, I think McDaniels has wide tentacles in the league now compared to where he was, um, you know, in Denver. And I think that people... Once you get to know Josh McDaniels and you talk to him, you, you can't help but be impressed, especially this version of Josh Daniels, McDaniels. Maybe not the Denver you know, young punk sort of kid in his 30s um, who didn't really know what he didn't know back then, but you know, he has a much larger sort of worldly view, and I think you know, he has pr- impressed people over the years. And Dave Ziegler is very similar. I mean, he was there in Denver. He's interviewed. He was a finalist for a couple jobs. Probably could have had the – the Denver GM job if he wanted it two years ago when George Payton got it, but he decided to remain in New England maybe to to sort of have this opportunity with Josh McDaniels. And so you're talking about two guys that have over recent years, over the last like five, ten years, have impressed a lot of people around the league and garnered a lot of goodwill. And a lot of people want to see those guys succeed. They're they're good guys. They're good at what they do. And I think that's that's a bonus. And I think, you know, kudos to Mark Davis for – identifying that and identifying the right people and sort of giving the Raiders this new sort of uh, lease on life. I completely agree. And uh, one of the, the, some of the feedback that I got um, uh, at the owners meetings about Josh McDaniels, and it goes back to when uh, his name was started really becoming a factor here in terms of being the head coach was just how um, astute and creative he is from an offensive standpoint. There are, and, and this is from people that have no problem saying that guy is terrible or whatever you know what I'm talking about when you when you get the feedback the raw feedback sometimes it's unpleasant in this case it's all been positive in terms of Josh McDaniels the offensive mind and I wanted to stay there for one second because you know you bring in Devonte Adams you have Hunter Renfro you have Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake and who they've brought into the running back building you've got Darren Waller um, is this sort of something that you think Josh McDaniels is just sitting back on I cannot wait to put my spin on this thing, and how do you think he puts his spin on a team now that has so many different weapons and so many go-to places to go to with the football? Yeah, Vinny, I'm I'm glad that um, that Josh has put himself in this position, but I'm also glad that um, 
you know, he's doing this his second time around. Because I think, you know, young McDaniels, I think, would have tried to do too much too quick and maybe it didn't work. And, you know, that's sort of what happened in Denver the first time around. Too much change, too much, uh, you know, trying to, uh, you know, be great early. And I think, you know, just from observing him, especially, I would say, over the last two years, I mean, it's one thing to coach Tom Brady and, and you know, all that stuff. But, you know, you know, dealing with Cam Newton and a lot of changes over there, they didn't have much at the skill positions that year. Then they, you know, they jump into free agency. They get a bunch of guys. They have a rookie quarterback. And just, I know, I could tell you for a fact that this time around, Josh McDaniels is not going to get, uh, you know, ahead of his skis. He is going to, and, I, and I've seen this in action over the past couple of years, that, you know, he will slowly build to things. And that's sort of, the Patriots have been very good at that over the years. He's been very good at that with the offense. And I know, you know, it, it, it might, I could tell you right now, we'll probably flash forward to, say, six weeks into the season and we'll be we'll be talking about this and be like, you know, I'm hearing from a lot of fans they are frustrated that they're doing they're not doing X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I'll tell you this down the road, I'll tell you this now. McDaniels is not going to do anything that he doesn't think that team is capable of doing right then. And, you know, the it, people have to be ready that to, to understand that the NFL season is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And it's where you are at the end of the season. And this version of McDaniels is great about, all right, we want to get to point B by Thanksgiving or December so that we're rolling into the playoffs. And, uh, you know, he will have a plan for that. He won't deviate from that plan. And in my mind, it's going to be successful. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. It was it, it, talking to him in Florida. You know, I had asked him, are you anxious to get this thing out on the grass? He's like, we're not even in shape to do that yet. And I yep. just, it, it hit me that he is looking at things so practically. Like, I'm not even, I can't put my mind there because we're not ready to do that right now. And when you're not ready to do something and you try to do it, that's when bad things happen, including injuries. Uh, but so it was interesting to hear that perspective from him, like, in due time, we'll get out there on the grass and we'll see what yep. we have, but we're not ready to do that uh, just yet. We're talking to Greg Bedard, um, the uh, founder and editorial director of bostonsportsjournal.com. Uh, uh, Greg, I'm sure you saw this and heard this. Uh, Josh McDaniels did address uh, Derek Carr. He's going into the last year of his contract. He's underpaid uh, compared to his peers. I think we all can agree on that. Um, but as Josh McDaniels said, look, uh, everybody has to make decisions that are the right decisions for themselves, the team, the player, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we'll find that sweet spot, uh, but we're not quite there yet. And where do you think that's headed? And do you think that they, the Raiders and Derek Carr find that sweet spot that is mutually beneficial to both sides? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, you know, Vinny, I think that, you know, we've sort of talked about it before and we talked about, you know, their due diligence with, you know, quarterbacks that might be on the market. I mean, I think they're, I think they're full steam ahead with, with Carr um, for this year, but they're going to, you know, they're going to have a plan. I mean, you know, I, it would highly surprise me if they're a hundred percent sold on him as far as their quarterback of the future, considering, you know, they're very practical. They haven't even been on a practice field yet. Um, you know, Josh McDaniels doesn't know how he's going to react to his style of coaching and things like that. So I don't think they'll get too far ahead of things. I think that they, you know, one thing that you hear from the Patriots all the time is, um, you know, it's contract extensions and negotiations are a two-way street. And But I do think Carr, um, you know, if anything, he's proven himself to be 
uh, a great teammate over the years that you know he is not that that he is open to he sees the big picture in terms of you know if he wants Devontae Adams and he you know getting paid what he's getting paid then you know maybe Carr has to take a little bit less and things like that and I think you know at some point you know they'll sit down and talk about it but I think McDaniel's and Ziegler just have a certain you know this is this is the path for us building this team you know they'll get to Derek at some point they're probably still you know trying to figure out you know the offseason workout laying that out and things like that um and you know they'll get there i mean there's time you know you'd like to have it wrapped up by training camp but often those things happen very early in training camp i it wouldn't surprise me if they just want to see hey let's get through the offseason workouts maybe you know the mini camps and stuff like that in june let's sort of see where we are then and and sort of reconvene after that when we bring up Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller, um, you know, Hunter's going in the last year of his contract. You figure that um, he's going to get an extension um, here fairly soon. And then Darren Waller is in a different situation under contract for the next two years. But compared to his peers, really, you know, um, it's it's just he's underpaid uh, w- considering what he's done and who he stacks up alongside. And, and that's just a fact. Um, how would you, if you were, I mean, how do you feel like that's going to get handled uh, with Waller, Hunter, and Hunter Renfro? I think uh, knowing sort of the, the, the Patriots pattern for doing things, I think that, um, you know, first of all, just looking at Waller, he's also, he's under contract um, through 2023. Um, I, you know, I think that, you know, I think in general, the Patriots, <laughs> excuse me, McDaniels and Ziegler, you know, I think, I think they really need to get these guys in the building more and have, I, I don't even, I think it's on the back burner. They're waiting until, you know, similar to Carr. They need to get these guys in the building. They need to get them in the meetings rooms. They need to get a better feel and say, all right, is this the type of guy that we want to invest in? I mean, you know, uh, all things, I mean, outwardly it looks like, those are the type of guys, whether it's Carr or Renfro or Waller, that you want to build around. But, you know, you never know. I mean, you know, how how durable is Renfro at his size? Uh, you know, I'm not really sure. You know, he's been pretty reliable over the years. Waller, we all know about his, you know, personal issues. You know, how, how does that affect things? Um, you know, do they want to invest in a player with that type of background? How is he going to be when he gets – uh, when he gets, you know, really paid, he's gotten a good contract before, but, you know, top of the market, um, you know, that's a little bit different. So those are all questions that have to be asked in time. And I think knowing Ziegler and McDaniels, they just need more information and then they sort of formulate their plans from there. Yeah. I'd be surprised, uh, if it all didn't work out, but you know, uh, as, as we've heard so many times, you can never say never. And, um, this is a new regime and there's no connection, no ties, to any of these guys, and and it, it, I think there is a little bit of a waiting game uh, that's going to have to unfold un- until some of those questions get answered. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. Truly appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk to you down the road, my friend. Sounds good. Thanks, man. You got it. That was Greg Bedard uh, from the Boston Sports Journal. Uh, always brings uh, great insight, especially where he is uh, in Boston. He's covered Dave Ziegler. He's covered um, Josh McDaniels for years, and a lot of the guys that are on this current Raiders uh, coaching staff uh, as well. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Tuesday. 
Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. It's the first Tuesday of the new month, and you know what that means. Embajador Tequila is uh, doing their monthly charity poker tournament uh, every first Tuesday of the month over at the South Point uh, Hotel and Casino tonight, starting at 6 o'clock. Uh, all kinds of, um, first of all, poker. Say no more. I know everybody loves to play some poker. Uh, there's prizes. There's get-ins. There's all kinds of great drinks, food, uh, great atmosphere. Uh, and you can win some money, and you can win some prizes, including uh, some bottles of tequila, Embajador tequila, uh, at that. So uh, go check them out tonight at 6 o'clock over at the South Point Main Poker Room uh, for the monthly poker tournament. Uh, highly recommended. Back out to the Realty One Group listener line. Mitch is in New Jersey. How you doing, Mitch? Hey, Vinny. Sorry about before. Oh, it's all right, brother. I'm easily distracted. Ah, no worries, man. I'm careful living. Hey, that's going to be some uh, division. That's the best division in football. So the Raiders are uh, three neck and neck. You, you, you know. But I read somewhere, uh, is it possible that Mike Renfro, Renfro, the wide receiver, he could be gone? They're making a list of wide receivers that could be changing teams. He signed through at least two more years, right? Uh, no, this is the last year of his con- Now he's, he's under control, um, for the next couple of years. If the Raiders wanted to use the franchise tag on him, but, uh, this is, he's going into the last year of his country. Remember, uh, non first round picks are signed to four year contracts. Uh, again, um, you know, uh, if they weren't able to okay. come. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, yeah, the, theoretically, uh, he could be theoretically, the Raiders can say we're not going to bring you back. Uh, you go go ahead and test free agency, and that's. I don't think that's going to come to that. I think the Raiders no, really value. Okay, keep. And one more thing: uh, who else is going to be behind uh, Derek Carr, Mullins, and who else? It has to be a third quarterback. You Garrett Gilbert. Yeah, they signed Garrett Gilbert uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, kind of a journeyman, uh, sort of a quarterback. Uh, I think he's played on four teams in, in four years. 31 years old. We talked to Josh McDaniels about him in Florida. A guy that has been in their system periodically. Um, never had a full season with him. They're they're anxious to kind of get him in um, and 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 get a full year uh, with him. So we'll see. Uh, you know, somebody that sort of knows uh, the system. But make no mistake, uh, Mullins is going to be the uh, primary backup uh to uh to Derek Carr and I think that was a, a a good signing um you know he's played I think he's started 17 games over his career um had a, a stint with the San Francisco 49ers of which included the 49ers beating uh, the Raiders I want to say that was in 2018 um in and not a very pretty uh loss for the Raiders but uh but Nick Mullins was the, was the quarterback of the 49ers um a guy that you know uh is kind of more of a guile guy he doesn't have the strongest arm uh, but can get out there and compete, and and really like we talked about last week, the reference or litmus test for a backup quarterback. If your quarterback's going to miss four games, do you have a guy on the roster that can win you two of those four games, just to kind of keep your head uh, afloat um, and and just hold things down until the starter comes back? I think Nick Nick Mullins is capable uh, of that. But as Josh McDaniels did point out, and I asked him in Florida, do you have a philosophy for your backup quarterback? Is there something that you uh, kind of hang your hat on with that position because there's multiple ways you can go. You can go get the veteran guy, the Andy Dalton, the the uh, Fitzsimmons, guys like that that um, you know are are 
you just know that what you're going to get, they're going to be able to stand on the sidelines, offer some insight, be somebody that is is going to be capable in an emergency situation. Uh, and sometimes that becomes your ideal of a backup quarterback. Um, but what, what was interesting about what Josh said to that question was, ideally where the Raiders want to get is what the Patriots did in many years where they drafted a quarterback um, kept them in that system for three to four years and tried to coach them up, hearing the same system, being coached by the same coaches, and then the hope being that in a year or two you've got the best version uh, of that player in your system. And as Josh McDaniels pointed out, look, we'd all be lying, every one of us, whether it's the player or me, the coach, if everybody's goal wasn't to start. Like when you get drafted into the NFL, you're not getting drafted into the NFL with the expectation, I just want to be a backup. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like nobody thinks along those lines. You eventually get there. There's there's backup quarterbacks now that are comfortable being the backup quarterback. But I guarantee you when Matt Barkley came into the NFL, if you would have said you're going to be a backup quarterback, he would have been, you know, uh, hit the road, Jack. That's not what I'm coming into the league for. I want to be a starter. That's what you you begin your career with the highest possible uh, goal. Otherwise, you're in the wrong damn business. And he maxed out as a backup quarterback. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but the goal initially is to develop into a starter. And as a coach, when you get a guy into your program, you're coaching that guy to eventually be a starter. That's just how that you owe it to the player. The player owes it to himself to look at himself in that way. Um, and then you hope in a couple of years that it all works out for everybody involved. So what their goal ideally uh, is to get into a cycle where they're getting a young player into the system, keeping him around for three to four years and seeing what you have uh, at the end of that four years. The Raider or the, the Patriots have done that many times. Um, you know, over the last few years, whether you're talking about a Matt Castle uh, or a Jacoby Brissett uh, or a Jimmy Garoppolo, those are the success stories. It doesn't always work out. And, you know, that's just the fact of the matter. Uh, but that's what you kind of want to get yourself uh, into a rhythm of doing and into a cycle of doing so that, A, if an emergency situation happens, and in the, in the Patriots case, that did come up, remember, um, uh, Tom Brady was hurt. That's how uh, Matt Castle came in, and they won 10 games that year. They didn't make the playoffs, but he showed that he could guide a a winning team, and that earned him an opportunity in Kansas City than Minnesota. Uh, or Tom Brady got suspended for, what was it, four games to start uh, one of those years a few years ago because of a deflate gate. Uh, and that's how Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett were thrown into uh, the fray and and handled themselves pretty well. And so um, that's what you're looking for to be able to – meet immediate needs, and hopefully be on a development uh, track that gets you to, again, the best possible version of yourself. Uh, and I think you're going to start seeing the Raiders do that maybe even now. I don't know if they invest a draft pick um, with their you know, two less picks that they have. They don't have a first. They don't have a second-round pick. So maybe this is not the year to go draft a quarterback. Uh, but if they don't do that, which I wouldn't be shocked if they did, I would imagine that they're going to bring in maybe an undrafted free agent, somebody that they're that they're uh, you know pretty high on, and get them into the system and see what where you could go with it. But get used to the fact, I think moving forward, of the Raiders drafting a quarterback, and don't be shocked where that quarterback might get dra drafted. I mean, if you're sitting there in the second round and somebody has fallen, uh, that was a 
first ground presumption grade on a quarterback. If you're the Raiders, even if you have Derek Carr under contract for the next ten years, you 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 bring in the best player available at that point in the draft and it can work out for you it could work out um, for you in terms of bringing back more assets down the road maybe even a first round who knows so you, you the, the goal is to bring in as many good players as possible it was interesting uh talking to, to to Josh McDaniels about the draft philosophy too you might see he said you might end up seeing us draft three of the same position back to back to back all defensive tackles. And you're like, why they just draft three different defensive tackles? They've got defensive tackles on the roster. And he's like, well, we're not going to get to a point where, oh, we need a linebacker. So we're just going to take a lesser player at linebacker as opposed to the better player at defensive tackle just because we're, quote, unquote, filling a hole. They don't want to get into that trap. And as he pointed out, you never know what kind of, you know, you bring in three defensive tackles, let's say. Who knows what's going to happen in training camp? Your first two guys might get hurt. We saw that with, uh, you know, um, the offensive guards last year. Uh, all of a sudden, the Raiders had no guards left on the roster except for a second-year player in John Simpson and, you know, uh, and uh, Jermaine Illuminar who came in toward the end of training or the right on the brink of the, of the regular season. So you just never know how things are going to play out. Other than the fact, as Josh McDaniel said, things happen. Things always happen in a football season. So what looks like a strength in April on draft night might not be as strong as you envisioned come the middle of training camp. You just never know, or the third week of the season. So that's why you always have to have that long-range, big-picture view because what it looks like and what it is today isn't what it's going to be tomorrow. So you try to be as prepared as possible. And as he mentioned, all right, we bring in a linebacker because we needed a linebacker. But guess what? This guy's not that good. We just wasted a pick because we were trying to fill a need, and we let this guy who has you know a starter potential right out of our grasp. So um, you know you don't be surprised at where some of these drafts might head uh, for the Raiders, and and you might say, "Gosh, they've got." X amount of wide receivers on the roster. Why would they do that? You Again, you just never know. And the goal in draft is to draft the best players available. And I really, truly believe that the Raiders are going to stick to that discipline. The free agency right now, that's to fill needs. They needed a defensive end that fit a 3-4 system. Chandler Jones was at the top of everybody's list because he's that good. And they said, that's who we're going to get. They needed a wide receiver. There was no doubt. The Raiders went into free agency with Brian Edwards and Hunter Renfro as the only two experienced receivers on the roster under contract. There was a massive need at wide receiver. So what did the Raiders do? They went out and get arguably the best wide receiver that was on the market in Devontae Adams. He wasn't even really on the market, but they went and made sure that that happened. You use free agency to fill needs. You use the draft to build your football team for today, tomorrow, and the day after tomorrow. So, um, and in that way, you have to be flexible and you have to be really more than anything, just disciplined. I had asked Dave Ziegler um, in Florida, hey, without a first and second round pick, do you build your board from your pick down or at least a third round down? 
um, and just kind of cut to the chase because if you don't have a first and second round pick, why are you wasting your time maybe grading those guys? But he made a great point. How am I supposed to know who player number 86 is if I don't know who player number one, two, three, 85 are? You have to understand that to get it to that point too. So, and also, you never know what happens in a draft. Somebody might call you and say, hey, look, we're looking to move out of the second round. Would you be interested in trading up? It might maybe even be a future first-round pick. If there's a guy that you have to have that you feel like, man, this is somebody that we need to get into the building right now, you maybe you make that trade. So you have to know what's ab- above you as well. And as also Dave Ziegler pointed out, it's a great practice. This group is working together for the first time as this group. You want to know what everybody in the room thinks of of players one through 300 or whatever. And also, I'll say this, too, because um, – and, and, and the draft is very interesting. Um, Les Snead brought it up when you know Bobby Wagner, the Raiders – or the Rams signed Bobby Wagner, right? They wanted Bobby Wagner – what was it, 2012 when he came out in the draft? They wanted Bobby Wagner, but they felt like he was going to fall to a certain part of the draft. And somebody took him before they felt where he was going to go, the Seattle Seahawks. And they've regretted it ever since. Number one, Bobby Wagner has turned out to be one of the best players at his position in the NFL. Number two, he was in the Rams division. So twice a year, Lesting and the Rams got their butts kicked by Bobby Wagner, a guy that they really wanted and and didn't draft at at a certain point when they had the opportunity because they felt he was going to be there later on in the draft. And so what... Les Need was talking about was, I don't want to ever get into that. If you like the player, take the player. If you feel like he's the player that you want to have in your building, don't sit around and wait and hope things fall to you and he's going to be there when you think he's going to be there because there's other teams involved that are looking at that player as well. Just as, um, you know, with, with just as much, man, this guy's a good player. So I think in the Raiders' case, I think you're going to see, even if it takes moving up a couple of notches. If there's a guy that they feel like they have to have, it might not be for today, but it certainly could be for tomorrow. They're going to be aggressive uh, in that way. I think they're also going to be aggressive in moving back. If they feel like, hey, you know, pick up a couple of extra picks down the road or or later on in this draft because you feel like it's a deep draft, all right, we'll give up our spot at 86 or whatever, move down to 91, 95, pick up a, a, an extra p- uh, pick in the process. We feel good about who's going to be there, um, 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 you know, among the players that we like uh, at 90. You're going to see that as well. And I think this year is probably a year where I wouldn't be surprised, Damon, if there were some trade-down situations. Just to, you know, be able to – there's some open roster spots. You're down two picks as it is with Devontae Adams for the Devontae Adams trade. Maybe there's a way that they can trade back and pick up some extra picks to be able to uh, get a full draft class here. So what are they getting from those extra picks then? So just bring in a few, like three or three or four, what, like, fifth let's rounders? Say, let's, like if you if you say, hey, I want to trade my third rounder, what are you getting back in return from that? Well, and, and obviously that's the key to the whole thing. But if you could pick up a couple extra fourths, let's say, to move down. And I'm not saying move out of the round altogether, but maybe drop down seven, eight spots and pick up an extra pick. And it's all predicated on this. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But if you, in your evaluations, feel like there's players 
deep into the fourth round, if we could pick up an extra fourth round to be able to get two shots at two of those players in that fourth round, we feel like this is a deep draft. Um, you do that. If you if you don't feel like there's a good value in the fourth round, you don't make that you don't make well, that Well, go back to your argument. If you feel like who oh, this guy would be a great get in the fourth round, just pick him in the third. Yeah, but I'm not saying that uh, that's that's a different that's a different situation. Uh, I'm saying like if there's if there if you feel like boy, it, we would help ourselves by picking up an extra fourth because we feel good about the depth of this draft. Like, you know, usually it's not maybe for one guy down there in the fourth. You're going there's a, there's about five or six guys that we feel are going to be there and we'll be okay with getting any of those five. All right? But if we could get two of those five, that's even better. Do you understand? And still keep your third round. But you don't trade completely out of the third round. You just drop back a few spots and maybe pick up an extra fourth. I'm just throwing out scenarios right now. But the the whole point being to get as many, if you feel like this is a deep seven-round draft, and especially in that fourth round that you can get some really good value to pick up an extra fourth rounder. And we've seen in the fourth round. I mean, that's Max Crosby. Hunter Renfro was, what, a fifth-round pick? There's, there's, there's players... Um, that are going to be around, uh, or maybe even a third rounder. I don't know. It's there's there's a lot of ways to go, but I think the Raiders are going to be aggressive in both areas, going up and going down. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonson. You're brought to you by Tequila and Bahador Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Tuesday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Lots going on and uh, lots on the horizon. Monday, the Raiders get together at the practice facility in Henderson. For the first day of, uh, of their off-season program, uh, there's going to be some meetings. They're going to be able to uh, work out in the weight room, uh, get on the field, and do some conditioning uh, work. Um, Damon, what happened to the North Carolina player? Did, did, did that guy just run out of gas? Did the guy that kind of threw up on the, on the court? Because that's what I'm thinking in the conditioning. That's how it works. You'll see guys just... I got to take a little time out and go off to the side. Is that what happened to that guy? Well, nobody ever said anything. The North Carolina player. Uh, yeah, yesterday. that he was just exhausted. Was that what it was? I think, yeah, we can just tack it up to exhaustion. Yes, players get tired. I'll, look, I'll pull up his official game minutes to, give, to be exact on how hard he was playing. And, and it brings up a good point because I think anybody with any kind of common sense could see that North Carolina just got worn out last, last night. They, they don't have a lot of depth. So they basically have to go with their starting five and maybe, what, one other guy um, coming off the bench that they can rely on. It's just not a very deep team. And I was kind of scrolling through social media last night, and people were talking about and on the telecast they were talking about they're wearing down right now, and you can see it. And there were some yahoos on social media who are like, these are 18 to 21-year-old kids. They should be able to run all day, and that's not an excuse. I'm like, uh. Have you ever played a high level game? If you if if the other team can go nine ten deep, and I think Kansas was doing that, and you're only six deep, what do you? There's I don't care how young you are, I don't care how in shape you are. That is an intense. There's there's what do they call it, Damon? They call it where it's like just some minutes are more grueling than other minutes. Like when you're dialed in uh, in a game like that, and you're given max max effort. It's just a little bit different. I'm sorry to say, 
than North Carolina playing Clemson one night. You know what I'm saying? On a Tuesday night in November. It's just different. And yes, even at 18 to 21 years old, you can get tired. Like, I couldn't believe that somebody would actually take that position where these guys never get tired. Uh, yes, they yes they can. And and we saw it last night with the uh, with the kid from North Car- North Carolina as he just got sick right on the uh, right on the right on the court. And it happens, man. This is like high leverage, high volatile kind of minutes, and you're giving max effort. And when you're having to play every single minute, and your competitor gets to go get a three minute, four minute rest, it's gonna add up after a while. And uh, that's to me. Kind of what happened in North Carolina last night. Did you did you feel like um, North Carolina or Kansas should have fouled up three? Uh, no, I don't believe in fouling I, up three. N- neither do I. Our good friend Adam Hill was saying Bill Self should get fired. Fired, Adam Hill said, for not fouling. And I went back and I looked at all the different articles. It, it almost seems like there's a slight edge to not fouling. It's like it's like... There's no like it, like it's not it, it's not I don't believe in it but I do think that the concept the concept is pretty smart. Definitely. I wouldn't do it because that's the coward's way out. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm looking for the for the for the best edge. I'm not, you know, uh, going to look at it that way. I understand I totally understand where you're coming from. But here's the thing, we see crazy things happen where a guy's shooting and the guy fouls him, you know, or or makes the even you know we see this in the NBA where the the referee sees it wrongly and it really wasn't necessarily a foul. The shooter kind of instigated it a little bit. Um, but I feel like they don't let him get away with them that as much in college. Basketball. But you can't take that chance. That's what I'm saying. Like that's why I don't. I'm not going to foul. I'm going to if he, if the kid hits a three pointer, I tip my cap and I go try to win it in overtime. If that's the worst case scenario, I can live with that. What I couldn't live with myself with is getting called. <laughs> While he's shooting the three-pointer, he hits the three-pointer, and then he gets a free throw, and maybe it's a four-point play. Or sending him to the free-throw line um, because my guy fouled him on the three-point shot. I'd rather him make the shot and my chances that way than, like you said, foul him. Because there's no real—I'm looking at all these statistics, Damon, and there's no, like, real, oh, that is the way you have to do it. Otherwise, you're an idiot if you don't. You know it's not saying? about. It doesn't need to be that stern, like you're calling people idiots or Bill well, Self needs I mean, to be fired. That's what I'm saying, Adam. Hill, a lot of people were saying that though. But when you look at it, now I'm going to switch sides a little bit. And no, it is a. It's a more not foolproof. But hey, Kansas, you're one of the best teams in the nation, a number one seed. Can you not get the rebound if he makes the first and miss the second one? Then you're just putting it on your team. Just get a rebound, or if he makes two. Then we inbound the ball and make free throws. Right. No, I I, I see where – obviously, I see the logic in it. But but what I'm saying is reading – because I went back, I go, oh, let me see if there's like a big edge that you get as the team up by three by fouling. But there isn't. That's the whole, That's my point. Like analytics says you go with what gives you the better percentage. And actually, the better percentage was when you don't foul in that situation. I guess what my – I'm thinking – I understand it from both sides. I'm, I'm I'm okay with the foul in that situation. I'm okay with the with not fouling in that situation because it's not like there's no one right answer. Like if it was 83% of the time when you foul up 3, you win the game. Then that makes a lot of sense, but it's not it's it's nowhere near that. It's like 
Either way, you're gonna you, you you're you're pretty much gonna be okay either way. So that's why, um, and I think Adam has a problem with Kansas and Bill Self and all that. These guys, I saw Paul Gutierrez with uh, he was and he I love Paul, um, you know, uh, but uh, he went to UNLV, so he always carries that thing with a lot of pride, and uh, and and I think that. Um, you know, whether it was Krzyzewski and what they did to UNLV one year and, I don't know, Bill Self or Kansas. I think Kansas might have beat UNLV, but it's like, geez, <laughs> let's get to real – let's get to contemporary time, you know. That, but that's why college sports – that's why college sports and college fandom is better than the pro experience when it comes to being a fan. Because I, because you have that thirty history. years later, you have, yeah, you have that history, you have that lore. <laughs> I'll tell you what college of fans in, of being involved with it. Here's 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 where um, I go uh, off the. Um, you guys don't have you. Well, here's the, I hate here. to disrespect you, but you guys in L.A. you don't have any great memories outside of what seventy five. What are you talking about? In what sport are we talking about? College basketball. UCLA went to the. Fu- they 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 they've been. When they had Russell Westbrook, yeah. they went to the championship. They've been to like three Final Fours, four Final Fours. But let's stop there right there because when you're talking about USC football, UCLA basketball, football, there's been a lot of great college sports. And here's the thing. I'm working for the LA Daily News, all right? Spring football practice. UNLV is doing spring pr- football practice right now, right? They're in spring practice, right? Yes, they are. Okay. In Los Angeles, USC would have their uh, spring practice at one time. And then a couple of weeks later, UCLA. It could have been reversed. I don't know what it is. But one team has their spring practice uh, over a course of time, and then the other team has theirs. All right. So as the media, we're covering whoever's spring track spring practice is going on. This is how ludicrous sometimes college fans can be. I'm sorry. I'm just saying. All right. So let's just say it was USC's turn for their sp- uh, spring break. Jamon, what do you think we're covering when USC is in spring um, practice and UCLA isn't? USC. Okay. So we're writing about USC. We're getting call after call after call. You guys only care about USC. You hate UCLA. See, every time I pick up the paper, it's the USC football team. It's the USC football team. And I'm like, because I would answer the phone a lot of times, USC is in spring football practice right now. UCLA isn't. Who do you think that we're going to be covering right now? All right. Fast forward a few weeks later when it's UCLA's turn to be in spring practice and USC is off. Guess what we're covering at that point, Damon Cotton? UCLA. Call after call after call from USC fans saying, see, you're so pro-UCLA. You hate USC. I'm like, were you not just paying attention a few weeks ago when it was USC's turn and we were doing story after story after USC? So there's a little bit of – be a little bit more reasonable than that. I get it. Fans are great and all that. But they can get a little crazy as well too. You know what I'm saying? So, oh no, I'm just of the contingency of people that think that the West Coast just can't rise up in college basketball the way it used to. Yeah, West Coast basketball has really fallen off. It has. I think TV has a little bit to do with that because. Uh, what do you mean TV has something to? You know, like all recruits don't recruits don't want to go to schools on the West Coast. I'm saying that they be, just don't have the goods when it comes down. Yeah, I to think it. I think TV does. Play, you talk to kids. I want to be on TV. I want to be on national TV all the time. And the ACC, their time windows are just better. Like if you're on the Pac-12 and you're playing at seven o'clock, do the math, Devon. What time is that in New York? 
10 o'clock. That has nothing to do with What are you Benny. talking about? You've never heard of East Coast bias? because Yes, maybe if you're like, oh, I didn't get player of the year, but that's got nothing to do with Gonzaga like choking it up every year well, in the NCAA tournament. I, I, I'm when saying Steve that, Alford made it to the Final Four I'm saying years ago. kids will stay. I'm saying more kids will go to those East Coast schools, even from the West, because they want that exposure. They like being on television. So it, I think there is an inherent... Because of that time difference, you, the West Coast has suffered uh, in the past. I'm just, I mean, I've, you've never heard of that. So, what about when West Coast teams were winning? What was uh, the... I don't, I don't. Well, you you just mentioned it. There wasn't as much television. Oh, there, so TV ruined West Coast basketball. I didn't say it ruined it. I said it helped East Coast basketball. The Big East, the ACC, the SEC. Yes, when ESPN and plenty of other stations started televising college basketball, it did. There's no doubt about it because nobody on the East Coast. Have you ever lived on? You've lived on the East Coast. Are you watching Laker games in Memphis um, religiously? Would you say that you were when you were living in Memphis or just West Coast baseball or basketball? Yes. Did you ever? When did you go to sleep? What are you talking about? Like, yeah. Oh, if I can't stay up till midnight, yes, yes. It's not midnight. The game starts at ten thirty usually. In uh, you know, like if you're living in what's Memphis, three hours ahead of us. No, it's in the Central Time Zone. All right, so forget Memphis. Um, Anywhere where you're living, I remember living in North Carolina, and it was hard to stay up to follow the West Coast teams on just a normal basis. You know, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Why are you laughing? You're saying, but that doesn't explain the losing. I, well, I think better players go. I'm saying. The, I'm saying. Chad better, Holmgren was the number one player in this uh, recruiting class. I know. Gonzaga. I'm not. I mean, yes, Gonzaga has definitely choked. But I think the. I think there's just more teams. First of all, there's more colleges on the East Coast, so that helps a little bit. And yeah, I think that the West Coast has not lived up uh, as well as it should have. But I also think that kids want to play on TV and on prime time, and you get that exposure and more chances to do so. On the East Coast, you're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. We're back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m.